0: Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Last Sunday we talked about the narrow gate and the difficult way. And as you went through your last week this last week hopefully that you you reflected back on that lesson and thought about which path am i on that was the that was the challenge for all of us of that of that path discussion but i want to ask you a question today what does that path cost you to travel down that narrow difficult way what's it cost you has it cost you old habits. I know from talking with you all that we've given up some old habits, haven't we? We've given up some things that we used to do that we don't do anymore. Maybe it's maybe we've had to give up some old haunts. Maybe we, we don't go to the places that we used to go anymore. Maybe we've had to give up some old friends. Maybe we've had to, to disconnect from people who don't share The love of God and the pursuit of righteousness that we've had to to kind of separate from. I mean, we don't treat them bad, but we don't we don't let them influence us. And so, because we don't want to be influenced by them, we don't hang out with them as much as we used to. What about a family member? What about a child or a grandchild or a grandparent or even a spouse? What's it cost you to travel down this narrow path? You know, Jesus said that this would happen. He spoke prophetically when he said that there's, going to, that there's going to be a time when we're going to have to separate from people. And today we want to look at what Jesus has to say about that. But we also, when we think about this, we want to know with certainty that Jesus knows when that happens and he cares Jesus says some words in our lesson today that some people wrestle with. And maybe we've wrestled with them in our lives. Maybe we've struggled with some of the things that we're going to read Jesus say. You know, when we started this this, uh, sub-series on the teachings of Jesus, one of the things I told you was that some of Jesus' teachings are hard. And this is a hard teaching. But it's something that we need to be aware of. Jesus said it, and so we believe it and we obey it, but we also know that Jesus knows it was hard. He knows it's difficult, and he sees it, and he cares. What's the cost of discipleship? What does it cost a person to follow Jesus? That's what we want to wrestle with today. And we want to begin, excuse me, by looking at what does Jesus say about this? What does he say about the cost of discipleship? Begin with me in Matthew chapter 8. We want to see here the, the answers that Jesus gives to some questions about following him. Beginning in verse 18. When Jesus saw a great multitude about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. And when a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds great, doesn't it? I, that's the attitude I hope all of us had. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus wanted this scribe to understand. And he wants us to understand there is a cost to following Jesus. Notice what verse 20 says. Jesus said, Then foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. First thing he wanted this scribe to understand is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow a difficult path. Even foxes have holes to sleep in. Even the birds of the air have a nest to sleep in. Son of Man owns nothing. He he doesn't have the, the comforts of this life. So if you're going to follow me, in, in this context You're going to have to understand That it's going to be a difficult journey You're going to have to give up some things Including your own personal comfort When Jesus went to the cross We knew he had, we knew he had a tunic Can you think of anything else that Jesus owned? Was there anything else that they squabbled over That those Roman soldiers cast a lot over Beside his clothing? Jesus wanted this scribe to understand, to follow me, you're going to have to sacrifice. And we can learn from that as well. Another man says, <clears throat> then another of his disciples came and said, Lord, let me go first go and bury my father. And you think about that, that, the relationship between a father and a son, one of the closest relationships you're going to see in, in a family, mother and daughter, very close. This man had lost his father And he wants to go bury his father. And we can can be compassionate upon this man. Any of us would want to go bury a father, right? But Jesus, in speaking about the urgency of the gospel and the necessity to follow at that time, says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, Jesus is not being disrespectful to this man or his father, but he's helping him understand, listen, there are priorities in life. And the cost of discipleship is setting your priorities on Christ. Now, that kind of frames in what we're going to talk about <clears throat> Excuse me. When people follow Jesus, I think most people expect to give up sinful ways. They expect to have to give up sin. But what about relationships? What about this situation with this man and his father? What is it about Jesus that can bring division between people and cause us to have to set our priorities differently? That's what we want to that's what we want to dive into. What would cause Jesus to come between me and a spouse? Me and Susan. Now he hasn't come between us, but what would cause what would cause Jesus to come between two people who are married? Between a fa- father and a son, between a mother and a daughter. Jesus says this is going to happen. Turn a little bit further with me over to um, Matthew chapter 10. We were in Matthew 8. We're going to go over to Matthew 10 now. <clears throat> This is verse 34. And what's interesting about this passage is the heading in in the version of the Bible I've got here has a heading over it. It says, Christ brings division. When you read that, does that naturally what you think of when when you're thinking about Jesus? That Jesus brings division? We don't think about Jesus in that perspective because we think about Jesus bringing people together, reconciling us to God, but Jesus is going to make a point here that there's aspects of him and the doctrine that he teaches that are going to cause division. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. That's a, that's a hard statement, isn't it? How many of us, <clears throat> when we think of Jesus, expect to see him carrying a sword? That he's going to bring division. Because we think of him as the Prince of Peace. And from a, from a very lovely, lovely perspective, he is the prince of peace. He is the prince that brings peace between us and God. But what about in the family? I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. <coughs> Excuse me. You see the division that takes place here. This is not a division between God and man. This is a division that takes place in the family. This is a division that would set family members against each other. And even the closest relationships are going to be broken here. We could go over and we could read in Luke chapter twelve the same the same statements here, that a mother's going to be set against a daughter, that a father's going to be set against a son, that a mother in law is going to be set against her daughter in law. What would do that? What would cause divisions? What would, as the next verse says, and a man's enemy will be those of his own household. What would cause this type of division to take place? And what you see is that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's priorities. It changes their perspective on life. It changes their relationships with people. The gospel has the power to do that, but it also has the authority to do that to me, to change my life. And so as I begin to think about the cost of discipleship, what I begin to see is to follow Jesus may cost me relationships. It may cost a father, or a mother, or a son, or a spouse. And when we begin to think about that, when we begin to really count the cost, then it becomes critical that we understand what we're getting into, right? We're going to see that in just a little bit, where Jesus is going to give us some examples of people and counting the cost. But the question I want us to wrestle with is, are there relationships in our lives that are distracting us from Jesus? That's a, that's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Because it means that we're going to have to then decide, do I follow Jesus or do I put my faith and trust in, in an earthly relationship? These are not exclusive, don't get me wrong. This is not saying that you have to love one in, in rejection of the other, but we've got to set some priorities in our lives That's what Jesus is challenging us to do here. So Jesus is going to give us, in Scripture reading that William read for us, Jesus gives us a picture of the disciples' change in priorities when it comes to following Him. Notice what He says in uh, in Luke 14, beginning verse um, 26. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> Let's just pause there for a second. If you just read that at face value, is that a hard teaching for you? It's hard teaching for me. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Because Jesus uses a word here that we see as a very strong word, hate. We think back in our minds, where have I seen the word hate used? In what context? Do you remember Jesus said, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder. But I say to you, whoever hates his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. So what's Jesus really saying here? Is he saying that we are to hate or we are to, we are to have a, a vehement um, dislike for father, mother, brother, sister, Well, notice what he says there. You know what else he includes in that list? Your own life. And now we start to piece together here. Well, does God want me to hate me? Well, we understand what that means, right? God doesn't want me to hate myself. He wants me to have a healthy perspective on me, though, right? And understand that I don't serve me. I serve God. And in that same way, I don't serve my father. Now, I have a respect for my father. I have a, have a duty to my father from an earthly standpoint. I have a, an honor that's owed to my father and mother. But if that relationship becomes comes between me and God, I've got to defer the one to the other. I've got to, in essence, hate the one to love the other. I've got to relegate it to a lower role. And you see that happen in people's lives, where when they come to the gospel, they understand that my my allegiance now is primarily to Jesus. And if I've got something else in my life that's a distraction to that, I've got to relegate it. I've got to demote it, including myself. We talked about this in class, didn't we? But who's the hardest person to lead? Look in the mirror, right? I have to give up myself. And in in doing that, I have to be willing (coughs) to relegate other relationships as well. Jesus says, if I don't hate them, if I don't love them less than Him, I'm not worthy to be His disciple. Have we counted the cost when it comes to following Jesus? Do we have people in our lives that we defer to other than Jesus? That I let that person have more sway in my life? That I let that person have more influence in my life? That I let that person guide my life more than I let Jesus we all have to wrestle with that. And so Jesus there gives the perspective that has to change. Notice how he, how he pictures this in verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus takes the, the analogy here that he's going to fulfill when he goes to the cross and he projects it back to me. And he says, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. What does the cross represent there? Sacrifice, right? A giving up of myself. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do when he goes to the cross. He's going to give himself up. He's going to sacrifice himself for me. And and Jesus, in doing that, sets the example for me of how I am to sacrifice myself for him. I'm to give up myself daily on that cross and follow him. And so you think about the the life that Jesus lived and the example that he set and passages such as Philippians chapter 2 come to mind or Hebrews chapter 5. Philippians chapter 2. Though he were... Oh, shoot, that's Hebrews chapter 5. The being in the form of God, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't wrong for God to think of himself in the same context that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit thought of themselves. He was equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, and he took on the form of a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of man. And having come in the the essence of man, he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's what taking up my cross looks like. I humble myself in obedience to the Savior. Hebrews chapter 5, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The example that Jesus set in his life is the example, is the is the, the pattern that he wants us to follow out in our lives of being obedient to the Father, being obedient to the words of God. And so then Jesus, so that we can help understand, so we can understand what he's trying to help us see here, he gives us two examples. He says, For which of you, verse 28, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he is able to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock and say, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Susan and I have built two houses, and and each one of those we had to sit down and we had to count the cost. We had to figure out, do we have the ability to, to build this house? Because you don't want to get into it and get halfway done. You get the foundation laid and you don't have enough m- money to buy the lumber to put the house up. And Jesus uses that analogy, he uses in, in essence that parable to explain the cost of fellow, of discipleship. Nobody wants to get started down a path and not be able to finish it. Because we know how the world's going to react, right? We know what the world's role is in, in our trip to heaven. They're the discourager. Satan is the discourager. He is the accuser. He is the, the one who deceives. And so he's trying to keep us from going to heaven. And so Jesus gives the first example of counting the cost. of somebody who, who sits down before they build and they say, okay, is it? am I able to finish it? The tower here stands as an example to us of, of the cost of discipleship, of counting the cost, of knowing what the cost is going to be, even before we start. How many of you I I can I can tell you that I don't know that I necessarily did this, but how many of you sat down before you obeyed the gospel and said, This is what it's going to cost me? I don't think we do that, right? Why do we not do that? Can I can I tell you one reason why I didn't do that? I didn't care what it cost. Because I knew how heavy sin was. I knew how heavy the burden of sin was. And I knew there was nothing I could do to pay that cost. Jesus had done it for me. But Jesus wants us to be aware. He wants us to go into this this relationship with our eyes wide open. You need to understand that it will cost you something. And it may cost you relationships. And it will cost you your own life. You're going to have to give yourself up in order to follow Jesus. He gives the example of the war. He says, um, verse 31, What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who's able, who's comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still great way off, he sends a delegation to ask conditions of peace. Jesus here is given the example of the king who sees a, an army coming. And he has to make a decision: Do I go and fight, or do I try to make peace? I've only got ten thousand; he's got twenty thousand. Most times, you know how that's going to turn out, right? But then you start factoring in: Okay, do I have the men? Do my ten thousand have the capability of overwhelming his twenty? You got to go through the process of understanding what the cost is. Now, Jesus is not giving these examples here to discourage us, but he wants us to understand from a from a perspective of of analogy, this is what it looks like to count the cost. You've got to understand what you are giving up. And he wants us to go through that process. He wants us to, to be conscious of this. He doesn't want us to fail. And so he gives us the challenge to succeed. Verse 33, he ends this passage with, So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has... Cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to give it all up? Are you willing to go all in for Jesus? That's the question. If we're going to travel down that narrow road, if we're going to go through that, if we're going to travel down the difficult road to go through the narrow gate, we've got to be able to forsake it all. We've got to be able to give it up. And that's what Jesus asks of us he asks us to be willing to give it up to set it aside in deference to him some might be discouraged by this but but Jesus doesn't uh, Jesus doesn't Tell us that there's no benefit to this, that there's no reward. Turn back with me now to Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see here that there is great reward that comes with following Jesus. We know that already. You know that because of the life that you're already leading. But in case you didn't, Jesus wants to remind us that there is great reward in giving ourselves up. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. He's already said that we've already read this, so we're going to read through this again here. But I want you to see here. Um, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We've already read that. And so he gives us the, the understanding of what hate means that we read over in Luke. Right? If you love somebody more than you love Jesus... There's going to be a problem. And he who does not take up his cross and fall after me is not worthy of me. Listen to verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is telling us that we're going to find blessings if we're willing to give ourselves up for him. If we're willing to go all in, We're going to find life. He says something similar to this over in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? You know how much God values your soul? We talked about this in class too. He values your soul so much that he was willing to sacrifice, he was willing to die on the cross for it. So, what would you give in exchange for that price? What would you give in exchange for Jesus? Would you give up everything? He gives the the opposite analogy here as a person who gains the whole world. Um, Heard one of the best lessons on this from Brother Ron Blakey. He went through and he, he, by that day's account, he gave an account of what the world would cost. What's the value of the world? If you were to break down all of the natural resources... All of the if you, if you took the world and you broke it up into its elements and you say, okay this is worth this much and this is worth that much and you put all the dollar figures on that, he said that's what the world's worth. Is that worth is, is your soul worth that much? And the point was this: it doesn't matter what the world's worth. Your soul's worth more. Would you be willing to give up the whole world to save your soul? Would you give up a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or even a spouse? Would you give them up in order to save your soul? That's the cost of discipleship. That's the cost of following Jesus. And Jesus would make a similar statement again over in John chapter 12. He says in verse 25, He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's a reward for you if you'll give up your life here. If you'll give up yourself here, you're going to keep your life for eternity. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. I love that passage because it shows that God cares about the sacrifices that I make. So in closing, I want to think about this. Sometimes it helps me if I can see an example. It helps me to see what sacrifice looks like if I can see somebody else sacrificing. And of course, we could look at Jesus and we can see the sacrifice that he made in going to the cross. I don't want to do that today because we're going to do that in some future lessons and I don't want to short-circuit those lessons. So we're going to pick another example. I want you to think about the life of Paul Think about what he gave up for Jesus. Paul, Saul, was the young man who was guarding the coats of the Jewish leaders as they took off their coats to do the heavy work of stoning Stephen to death. He was, If he was not in the Sanhedrin, he was the, he was the coat man for the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish rulers of the day. And he was so entrusted by those Jewish leaders that they would give him letters and he would go all throughout the region looking for Christians to bring back and put to death. This man was an up-and-comer. He had great potential in the, in the Jewish system. He would say later, he says, If anybody Hebrew, I'm more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know who the tribe of Benjamin was? They were the tribe of the first king, Saul. A Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law blameless concerning zeal. how zealous were you for the law of Paul? I was persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. but listen to what he suffered for Christ. Turn with me over to second Corinthians. These are going to be a little bit longer. I'll try not to spend as much time commenting on them as I do just reading them because I want you to see here what Paul gave up. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think I've got the wrong verses on there. That's supposed to be 11, I think. 2 Corinthians 11, 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. What's he doing? He's going to compare himself to these men who are promoting themselves. He's saying, I have everything, all the check marks that they can check, I've got those. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often... In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hungers and thirsts, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul, what have you given up for Jesus? Everything. I've given up my countrymen, I've given up my friends, I've given up family, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've suffered all these things for Jesus. And when we get over to Philippians, we're going to see he's even in prison for Christ. And not only this, he says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches Paul what have you given up my own comfort my own peace of mind because I'm concerned about you I'm concerned about Christians I'm concerned about disciples on a daily basis he's praying for and he's thinking about and he's striving for these Christians let's go to Philippians and we'll finish there We noted that Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Philippians. We see that in verse 1. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He never calls himself a bondservant of the Romans, though. Paul never refers to himself as a bondservant of the Romans or that he is in chain by the Romans. He's in chain for the cause of Christ. <clears throat> he says in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What's happened to you, Paul? I've been put in prison. I'm in Rome. I've been chained. I've been kept from doing the work that I wanted. He wanted to go to Spain and preach, and he's now in prison. He said those things will have actually turned out for a furtherance for the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren of the Lord have become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul, you giving up your own freedom has caused the, the gospel to spread. Look verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation hope that in nothing I should be ashamed But with all boldness, as always so now, also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know who talks that way? A disciple. One who's willing to understand that for me to live in this life is benefit for Christ. The gain I get is when I die. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. For I am hard-pressed, oh, excuse me. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labors. Yet what I choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And he goes on to talk about the confidence that he has, that he's going to remain and that he's going to be returned to the Philippians. I want to close with Philippians chapter 3, though. This is the perspective that the disciple has. This is the perspective that Jesus wants us to have on the cost of discipleship. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's going to go through that list again. Circumcised the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I count loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. If you read for the King James, yours says, Dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead Paul what have you given up? I've given up anything that distracts me from going to heaven I want to know Jesus better I want to know the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings what's that mean? fellowship To share in, right? You think Paul shared in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ? Yes, we've already read that. And the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What mind are you of today? Are you counting the cost to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you see things in your life that you love more than you love Jesus? Jesus challenges us today to give those up. Maybe it's an old habit. Maybe it's an old haunt. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's a family member. Jesus wants us to defer those And place our emphasis on Him. That's the cost of discipleship. Are you willing to pay it? There's a great blessing that comes from being a disciple of Jesus. There's an abundance in this life, and there's eternal life on the other side. And when we count that cost, I hope we see it. It's all worth it. It's all going to be worth it. We're going to sing an invitation song this morning. I want to challenge each one of us to think about what we have given up for Jesus. And maybe if there's something that's a distraction to you, you give it up today. We're going to sing the song. If you have a need, please come to the front. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.